Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Well, good morning, church. How are we? It's good to be with you all this morning. Um, if you could get the next screen up and clear it out of the way so our live stream can see us. Hi! Yeah. Guys, I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back right in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, don't leave today without one. We've got plenty to give to you. Ephesians chapter 4, that's going to be in the New Testament for those who are newer to God's Word. We've been in this series called Transformed. This will be the third week. And last week, we had the chance to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And we found out that we are what? New creations. We are new creatures, right? The new has already come. And so we, we basically are, when we, we talk about being transformed, we have to start with this place where, yeah, we've already been made new. We're already new creatures. All the new has already come for us, which is really cool. But then the obvious next question, which I hope you guys are asking in your heads is, if we're already new creatures made after the image of Christ, are, are we already perfectly like Christ? In other words, has all the work already been accomplished in us? Is there anything else to do? So what I'm basically asking is, if you guys are familiar with the movie The Matrix, where it's Matrix number one, I think, and and uh, they're in need of how to drive a helicopter. And all of a sudden, they just download instant helicopter skills. And, and then in an instant, like they needed to know how to do kung fu. And, and all of a sudden, they just ultimately became a kung fu master, right? Just by downloading it from a system, right? Did we download perfect Christ-likeness when we were regenerated? <laughs> you're right and you're wrong, right? In one sense... We have been fully declared like Christ in the courtroom of heaven. That's what justified means. But when those of you who said, no, yeah, you're exactly right too. And we can feel it, right? We said last week, oh, like prone to wonder how I feel it. So I just got to ask, does anybody in here think that they are perfect? <laughs> My hand was not up. That was just showing you what to do if you thought. <laughs> no, you aren't perfect, you're not perfect yet. In fact, a church is not a, a mausoleum of saints. It's supposed to be a what? A hospital for sinners, broken people. So we all understand that we're not perfect. But if any of you needed any proof that you're not perfect, just examine the last three hours and how you had to go through the art of getting your family to church. I honestly think that getting your family to church is one of the most sin-exposing times in your life, in every part of the week. It starts off with what? Your kids saying, I don't want to eat breakfast all of a sudden because they apparently don't want to eat anymore. And then they're fighting over what clothes to wear. And, and then you, you, you get to the car and you're, you're, you're waiting on your spouse for the two-hour long process that it takes for them to get ready. And then the kids are fighting about which seat they need to sit in. And it's just welling up in you. And, and as you're driving, they're, hey, turn on this song. No, I want this song, right? And then your spouse is just doing her thing. And, and you're just driving. And all of a sudden, after all of this is built up, you just ultimately let it all out. Stop it! Right? We are going to church, 
and you are going to be the good Christian you're supposed to be. And then it doesn't stop there. You get to church and your kids are climbing over the pews and they're like po- fighting with each other and, and your child just sitting there, holy, stop it. <laughs> I didn't do that. I, you don't need to call anybody about that. But I'm just saying, right? Guys, we're not perfect yet. But oh, how we long to be. Oh my goodness. That I would know how to respond in every circumstance to my children and to my wife and to all of us with perfect Christ-likeness. That would be an amazing thing, but we're not there yet. Guys, Christians in the Bible weren't either, were they? No. Guys, if if you were to actually just take a quick look at every strong, prominent character in the Bible, boy, do they have flaws. You can go all the way back to Abraham. He lied about his, his wife being his sister. That's messed up. You got Moses, he's a murderer. You got David, he's not only a murderer, he's an adulteress. You've got Solomon, that dude's just straight up crazy in polygamy. You can fast forward, you get to the disciples, right? The disciples, man, they were fighting over who got to be the greatest disciple of them all. You get to Peter, right? Oh my goodness, this dude, Peter. If anybody should identify with anybody in scripture, we ought to identify most with Peter, right? The dude is like, oh man, he got, he got to see Jesus transfigured on the mount. He got, I mean, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church, which rock is Petros, Peter, right? Goodness, this dude is, he's getting all these special privileges. And, and when Jesus is saying, hey, I, uh, y'all are all going to abandon me, what does he do? No, Jesus, I will never abandon you. Right? Like he's Superman. And then what happens? He denies Jesus three times, saying, I don't, I don't know who that man is. And fast forward into his participation in the early church, and what happens? He's accused of racism. Right? He's not willing to associate with the non-Jews, so he doesn't sit with them, and he gets confronted about it. Look at Paul, right? He's often known as the perfect apostle, but that dude is not perfect, right? I mean, he's the one, yeah, yeah, he said, oh, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain from a prison cell, but he's also the one who wrote Romans 7, like, the things that I don't want to do, I'm doing, and the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. Wretched man that I am! That's Paul. Guys, every prominent character in Scripture, they're broken except for one, and that's Jesus. So, so do we instantly become perfectly in every way like Christ upon our regeneration? What's the answer? No, right? Yes, in declaration in the courtrooms of heaven, based on your account that God has wiped clean, you are righteous before God, perfect, and yet at the same time, he is making that a reality in us. Guys, there's this dynamic in Scripture that's quite amazing, and it's, it's this dynamic of already, but not yet. Can you say that? Already, but not yet. So there's this sense where there's things that are already a present, current, full reality. And yet there's also a sense where those things are not yet the full reality. So think about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here now. But we also know it's not yet and coming. Spiritual formation, our transformation. We talked about last week. Yeah, it's already here now. And yet it's also not yet. So scripture has this weird thing where it does this already and not yet paradigm. And, and we've got to navigate that now. And 
And, and it applies to even this. It applies to our spiritual growth, and, 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 and which means that we're all in process as believers. That we have already been transformed by God initially, and we are being transformed by God currently. God used our time of worship to work in you. And he's using this time now to work and transform you. Into what? Into what? What is God forming us into? You remember that song, The Potter's Hand? What is the potter making out of this clay? Right? That's the question that we're going to jump to, right? So we started with the beginning. We're going to jump all the way to this end of this transformation process. And we're going to find out that in Ephesians 4, that the answer to that question, what is, he, what is the ultimate thing that Jesus or God is forming us into? And the answer is complete Christ-likeness. Can you say that? One, two, three. Complete Christ-likeness. In other words, one of the things that I think we need to, to, to understand, or at least to be able to move anywhere forward in this series called Transformed, is we need a good definition of what it means that we are currently being transformed. We need to be able to have something, and and it's gonna be written down, I'm gonna have it up on the screen as we go along this morning, but uh, it's important because it's it's gonna cross into every single sermon here on out, and I might quiz you on it. So so if you have uh, note-taking abilities, please do so. Um, But basically, uh, we're gonna define transformation, and we're gonna picture it as the ultimate goal this morning in three parts. Growing into maturity, like Christ's fullness in every way possible. Now, if you didn't get that now, they will be up on the screen as we go. So there will be a full answer at the end of this. But let's get into the text because I'm ultimately just tired of hearing myself. Ephesians 4, let's get to verse 11, all right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Guys, we're, we're in the book of Ephesians, meanings Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's in this part where he's talking about the unity and the diversity in the local body of Christ. And it's a beautiful thing, and this is what we find out in verse 11. And Jesus, or God himself, gave some to the church to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, that's a sermon for another day, to build up the body of Christ, here we go, until we all reach full unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Verse 14, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So guys, we're, we're, we're only covering just like one or two parts of this passage in three answers, right? And answering the question, what are we being formed into? So we, we, we find out that Jesus gave really gifted teachers and apostles and prophets to the church to build up the saints for the work of ministry. And the work of ministry is what? And we're to keep building and keep building until what? Until verse 13 says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son. Guys, in the Greek, the root word for unity is one. It's the number one, which means oneness. Until unity, until oneness. And until we're all one in our what? Faith. Faith. 
That's not just this ethereal faith. That is an objective faith. That's the gospel, what we believe. It's a gospel of Jesus Christ and, and a unity in knowing Jesus or in the knowledge of the Son of God. That's a relational and an informative way. And so we all reach unity, oneness in that way. And to get there, what does he say? We have to grow into something. We, we, the, it's the very same thing that God is forming into. What does he say? Until we all reach unity of faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity. So that's our first part. Transformation is growing into maturity. Notice how, how it's not becoming another creature. It's maturing in the creature we already are as new. Right? Growing into maturity. The, some of your translations might have said adulthood. Some of them have, might, might have said manhood, something like that. But, but ultimately, it's, it's growing up. And another way to translate maturity is the word completion. It's completion. It's the end of the development, right? There, there, there's nothing more to be done. The work is totally completed. In other words, it's finished. That sound familiar? Remember Jesus on the cross? He said, it is finished. That's the same Greek word here. Maturity, completed. Now you've heard different names for this, right? Growing into maturity. You, you may have heard it like sanctification if you grew up in a certain background. You've heard progressive sanctification. You, you may have heard Christian formation or spiritual formation or transformation. They're all very much the same thing. But this is what discipleship is aiming at, right? This is what our ultimately mission should really be about is growing people up into maturity in their faith, bringing people to share the same relationship and the same knowledge that we have with Jesus and in unity of faith, growing up into maturity. Because here's what happens when we don't, and this is just a really obvious question. I feel silly asking it, but what happens, what happens if a spiritual child doesn't grow up into a spiritual adult? What do they stay? A child, a spiritual infant, still needing milk, not able to press on into deeper things. Growing up into maturity keeps us from being immature. It keeps us from being spiritual children, which is what Paul talks about in verse 14. Look at that. If we don't grow up, then we will no, sorry, if, once we do grow up, then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Guys, growing up into maturity is actually meant to root us deeply. It's meant to secure us and keep us stable in our faith and ground us. So this process of transformation that we're talking about is a growing up into maturity in the new creatures that we are. But can't maturity itself kind of be subjective based on how people think about what maturity is? <laughs> different cultures view maturity as different things. Did you guys know that um, in the United States, the age of adolescence has been extended? It was once 19. Guess what it is now? 25. In some areas, 31. I'm 31, and I'm balding. I think that I've moved past adolescence, at least physically. Maybe not like, like I'm, no. 
Guys, we're not just talking about any kind of maturity here. There's a maturity that is specified here. It's a maturity that's compared with or measured by the stature of Christ's fullness. You see that in that verse? Growing into maturity with a stature or a maturity or a level measured by Christ's fullness. So transformation is growing into maturity like Christ's fullness. Can you say like Christ's fullness? One, two, three. Like Christ's fullness. Guys, Christ is the standard of maturity. He's the, the measure to which we're being brought into and grown up. So I've, I've got a way to kind of illustrate it. It's, it's not perfect, but it works. Have you guys ever heard of like a prototype, what it means to have a prototype? Uh, I you can have it in systems, you can have it in machines. Let's talk about a toy maker, right? So a toy maker has this vision of something that they want to create that's going to be explosive on the kid's market. And they, they, they design it, and, and they, they put it together, they machine it, and they, they present it, and it's this prototype. And they, they test it out, and they, it functions well. And, and they say, all right, this is what we're going to make everything after. And so then the systems start cranking out things just exactly like that prototype, but there's nothing like that prototype, and yet everything that's made after is made like that prototype. In the same way, Jesus is our prototype. In the same way, Jesus is the one that we're being made after or made into. We have been formed into new creatures, and we are being formed into maturity after the prototype that is Jesus. He's the first of his kind, which is what Romans 8, 29 gets at. It says, those who God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Right? So there's one key part. We are conformed into his image so that that person, that image, that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, we also note that we're being conformed into the image of Jesus from 2 Corinthians three eighteen. We talked about it several months ago. We all with unveiled faces, meaning we can see, we can understand, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image that we're looking at, the glory of Jesus, from glory to glory. Talk about growing up. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So God has this divine tape measure, right? And he's measured out the fullness of who Jesus is. And he said, all right, this is the mark, and I'm going to make all of my children reach that mark. I'm going to hit that mark in all of my children, and everybody who would receive Jesus. This is the level to which I'm making them. Isn't that kind of crazy? That God in his infinite wisdom and understanding would determine to say, hey, I'd like more people to look like my son. I delight in him. What's the mark? Fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. Did you notice how it says fullness? Is that part? Is that most of what Christ was? No, what is fullness? Everything. All that is in him. All that is in him. So this means that the plentitude of excellencies which Christ possess, he bestows into us. 
<laughs> and here's what's crazy about this. Let's just keep going in the crazy. Look at Colossians 2.9. The entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Say, what? Come again? So the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. In other words, everything about God dwells in the full person of Jesus. So Jesus is the full and perfect image of God, or as Hebrews would say, the invisible God. So can't you see the connecting dots here, right? The connecting dots. You remember everything that we studied in A Glimpse of Glory? You know, that like 50-week sermon series that we went through? And, and we talked about the beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character. How he is, how he is beautifully merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That he forgives us. And he's just. And so much more. You remember that? All of that in all of its excellent beauty dwells perfectly and fully in Jesus. So connect the dots. We are being made into the fullness of Christ and Christ is the fullness of God. We're being made into a level of maturity that doesn't just simply belong to Christ in uniqueness, but it is uniquely God's fullness. In other words, like Christ's fullness means like God. Christ-likeness is God-likeness or Godliness is how you may have heard it. Isn't this insane? That God's deciding to say, hey, I, I like my character. I like how I am. I'd like to see more people look like me and be like me and exist like me. So he imparts his character to the person of Christ and says, I'm going to make everybody look like him. And just in case you're getting any kind of notion that I'm, I'm just making this stuff up or, or if I'm going too far or, or if this is just all nonsense, right? Let's just, keep, let's just keep looking. Let's go down to verse 15. Take a look at verse 15. It says, but speaking the truth in love, remember he had just talked about being children, we're no longer that, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So spiritual transformation isn't just growing into maturity like Christ's fullness in one or two ways, in, in half of the ways that you can which would mean all we'd have to do is just offer just parts of him. We don't have to offer all of ourselves. No, no, no. He says in every way, which is why we are defining transformation as growing into maturity like Christ's fullness in every way possible. Can you read that bottom three lines for me with me? One, two, three. Growing into maturity like Christ's fullness in every way possible. Notice how it says possible. In every way possible. I don't know why I'm saying that with a Boston accent. Possible. Because, because there are some ways in which you're not able to be made into the fullness of Christ. 
You want to, it's kind of obvious, ain't it? Right? You're not becoming God himself. <laughs> that would be terrible. He's kind of, he's kind of like, he keeps his glory to himself in that sense. Like, no, he doesn't share his glory with another. He is God alone. So, so we don't become God, like, in existence. But, and it's also obvious that, that, that in this, what we're talking about here is not, it's not us becoming a pure spotless lamb to go die on a cross for the sins of the world. We're not being made into that, right? That's already been accomplished and done. Now, those are more obvious, but there's something that's a little less obvious that I think is important for us to talk about. And, and it's this. What we mean by this, it, it, it's not possible for you to lose your personhood to the person of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Guys, out of all the hundreds of billions of people that have ever existed throughout all of history, billions and billions of people, only you have the unique personality that you have. Nobody else shares it. You are uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully crafted by our God. You have a unique personality that nobody else in all of history has ever shared or ever known, except for those who know you. It's that personality. You know that personality thing that we do to try to figure out what kind of personality? We, we form these tests, right? These personality tests, is that part of you? And I'm not talking about like the Facebook test to figure out which Disney princess you are. <laughs> I'm talking about like, you know how we have the type A or type B personalities, right? Who are, who are my type A? Who are my type B? Do y'all not know who you are? <laughs> Nobody raised your hands. We have our, we have, it's amazing though, we try to reduce billions of people down to two categories. It doesn't work. Uh, how many of you have heard the, the, the test where it's like the lion, the otter, the beaver, and the golden retriever? Right? Where are my lions at? Rawr. Right? We've got all these different persons. Uh, most recently is what? The Enneagram, right? That Enneagram where, where it's an old test, but now it's gotten refreshed, and now it's, it's fashionable to do, right? And, and, and there's all these books about discovering the way back to you using the Enneagram. It's ridiculous. So, oh, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a type one with a six wing and a partial three. Anyways, so we have all these types of personalities that we try to isolate down into these basic tests or groups, and, and it doesn't work because ultimately your personality is unique. Only you can be you. God designed it beautifully. It's your personhood, and God isn't looking to, to, to erase your personality, per se. Only Jesus can be the person that he is. And only you can be the person that you are, new in Christ. So that's, what we, that's why the word possible is there, because there are some ways that we're not growing into the fullness of Christ. But, but what do we mean by that? What do we mean in every way? Well, let me, let, me keep, let me keep kind of describing this. One of the things that we do so well as Christians is we say we're growing into maturity, like Christ's fullness, in one or two ways possible. In one or two ways that I think we really like to say are the most important things. We reduce all that God wants to do in us down to one or two ways that God is growing us in. And I think one of the most popular ones that's most common these days, it's the one that we think God cares about the most, and that is this. 
behavior. That that's all God is changing. Our behavior. Our outward expressions, our, our conduct, what we say, what we do, our habits, our routines, our performance. You know how I know we do this? You remember years ago, there was this trendy little bracelet thing that came out that had four letters on it? WWJD. And what did that mean? Right. What would Jesus do? And so we, when we get into a conflict and we'd be like, oh, what do I need to do? What would Jesus do? Okay, what would Jesus do? All right, he would do this. Now I'm going to make myself do it. Ugh! That's how, so we'd force ourselves, we'd copy and paste his behavior onto ours. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But you remember how in week one we talked about how things can look really good on the outside and be a total mess on the inside? That the outer reality can, can look clean, but the inner reality can be full of cobwebs and messed up stuff? When we reduce all of this Christianity transformation thing, down to a behavior betterment program, we can look really good on the outside and be a total wreck on the inside. We can, we can put on certain behaviors that look like Christ. We can fake it till we make it, right? But we're not actually like Christ. Guys, Scripture says all the time, people can pay lip service to God, but their hearts be far from him. And people can offer these sacrifices for their sins or sacrifices of praise, but, but, but there's nothing in their heart going on of, of contriteness or humility or, or conviction or brokenness. So again, we've hit on this several times. Is this the only way that God is looking to transform us as his followers? Yes or no? No, it's not. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. What we're talking about when we say in every way possible is that every part of our lives, all of our existence, finds its center and its goal in relation to and union with Jesus. So guys, we're not talking about a behavior betterment program here. This is talking about complete Christ-likeness. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Complete Christ-likeness. We're talking about the whole person. It's a holistic transformation. And guys, there are so many ways we can talk about this, and we ought to, and we will in weeks to come. But today, I want to just land this into three main categories, three main ways in which we are being formed as Christians into complete Christ-likeness. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put them in kind of easy terms, but then I'm going to throw at you a really hard term, okay? So three easy terms, and then I'm going to throw at you three hard terms. So, so categorically speaking, we are being formed in three main ways, our head, our hearts, and our hands. Point to your head. Point to your heart. Point to your hands. I don't know how to... I don't know what to do with my hands. Anyways, so those are these main ways that God is forming us. Let's start first with our head. It's how we think. It's, it's what we perceive. It's, it's what we believe and what we know to be true, right? So let's just, let's just be transparent here, church. 
is everything that you think and everything that you believe perfect? No. No, we still have thoughts that aren't good thoughts, and we still have lies that we believe. We just don't know it. That's why we've been deceived. But we have God's Spirit who is renewing our minds, and He's leading us into truth. So, here's the big term. Right? This is one thing that God is doing in us, in our head. It's called orthodoxy. Can you say that word? One, two, three. Orthodoxy. It means right doctrine, right theology, right beliefs, right understanding, right worldviews. So Jesus is transforming us in our head to believe what he believes, to, to, to know what he knows, to, to lead us into how he thinks about things. Oh boy, I long for that day. So he's working in our heads but he's also working in our hearts, right? Guys, the hearts in Scripture are like the seed of our emotions, the, the place where our longings and desires and, and our feelings and our motives and our longings come out of. Now, can we just say, are, 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 we, are we currently perfect in all the things that we feel? No. No, there, there might be still some, some envy that lingers and some pride that takes control or some lust that manipulates or maybe even some hatred. But, but God isn't leaving us captive to those things, to those emotions or to those feelings. He is promising to purify our hearts and to help us feel rightly, which is orthopathy. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Orthopathy. Right feeling. Right feeling. That we would feel the things Jesus felt. Oh boy. To be motivated by the things that motivate him. To long for the things that he longs for. To treasure what he treasures. To find joy in what he rejoices in. Like leading us to feel rightly. To feel what he felt. And then we have this third category. Our hands. Now, this is really oversimplified to say hands, but you had to do alliteration. It's just the pastor thing to do. Head, heart, and hands. H-H-H makes it easy. Hands. But hands, ultimately we're talking about everything Outwardly expressed. So all we do, all of our behaviors, all of our habits, our actions, what we say. Guys, do I even have to ask? I think we all know we're not perfect in this area. We're not in perfect obedience to every single command of God. Right? But, but God is promising to purify all that we do. And to lead us into orthopraxy. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Orthopraxy. Now we've got those big words out of the way. We don't have to bother them again. This is right practice or right behaviors. In other words, this everything that we do would, is coming into alignment with the good and perfect works of Jesus. So all three of these, our head, our heart, and our hands. Right thinking, right feeling, and right doing. Complete Christ-likeness. 
<laughs> now, in some Christian circles, there's some things that happen that make this difficult. Some circles will overemphasize one of these to the neglect of the other. Right? So you might find a circle of Christians that throw, throw hands and they say, this is the most important part, everything that you do. But guys, that's just religion. A lot of religions try to clean up the outward appearance and are powerless to change us inside. There, I, I honestly, I, I think I grew up with an understanding, not that it was intentional on anybody's part, but I grew up with an understanding that emphasized the head and the hands, that you had to have right thinking and right doing, and I really neglected the right feeling. I was told that my emotions needed to be suppressed, that you need to keep those down because they're dangerous. Well, a lie can be just as dangerous as a wrong feeling. So, so, so there's, there's those categories, and then there's other categories of Christians that would, that would warn you from being too theological, that's saying, oh, too much theology in your head will get you a big head, and, and so they suppress the head part of, of really studying and knowing God's word, and they really elevate the heart, how you feel, and they, they, they really elevate all the emotions, and, and they try to build up an emotional experience for you with little head, which then neglects the hands. So what do we do? Do we find our circles that we like best, that emphasize one or two that we really like and neglect the other? Ought we, in this church, say, hey, this is the most important part of this being like Christ. Let's, let's pursue that one. Let's not necessarily care about the others. No, absolutely not. We balance all three of these as the highest priorities of what Christ is looking to do in us. Everything about us. Complete Christ-likeness in our heads, in our hearts, and in our hands. Is that not our desire, church? Why? Why do we say all of these are so important? Because Jesus had them all perfectly. Everything about him was perfect in his head, heart, and hands, and everything else. So like when his beliefs were tempted and challenged by the deceiver himself out in that wilderness. And when the Pharisees and the religious leaders tried to trap him in his theology, his right thinking confounded them and stood firm. When the Pharisees made the temple, his house, his father's house of worship into a den of thieves, into a marketplace, zeal and anger consumed his heart Rightly, perfectly. When, when they hung Jesus on that cross unjustly, did he, oh, did he overwhelm in anger? No, he overwhelmed with forgiveness in his heart and he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He felt compassion and forgiveness in his heart perfectly. And when he felt tired, and wanted to get away, but the people kept coming after him, saying, please do this. He made himself available. He healed people. He fed people. He shepherded the crowds. Guys, Jesus is the embodiment of right thinking, of right feeling, and right doing, and he is working in us all of that. God is transforming us 
into his fullness in these main ways. If you don't believe me, look at the example that Paul gives in verse 15. What does he say there? He says, but speaking the truth in love. Speaking, that's a hands. The truth, that's in your head. In love, there's your heart. Every part of you is engaged in the Christian life. Not just what people can see on the outside. Complete Christ-likeness is leading us into right thinking, right feeling, and right doing in our heads, in our hearts, in our hands. And God is promising to do this work in us. And he said he will complete it. And I can't wait. I can't wait for the day when, when, when we can be in prison for our faith and yet be singing songs of praise. Where we, we can see our stuff being stolen and yet we can, we can still joyfully endure it because we know we have a better and abiding possession in heaven. For, for the day when we see someone in need and compassion wells up in our souls and we can't help but go, hey, how can I serve you? I can see there's something going on. Or, or when we lose the closest person that we love, we won't actually know what it feels like to be lonely because we know and we feel the presence of Jesus with us. Guys, brothers and sisters, we are growing into maturity like Christ's fullness in every way possible. This is the gospel. This is the promise of God. So if you guys would just, at this time, bow your heads. Because we need to reflect on this and we need to to allow God's spirit to, 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 to convict and show and like reveal to us the things that we've been doing. So if you just bow your heads and, and, and clear your minds, don't think about anything else, but just, but just your head, your heart, and your hands, and, and the fact that you're, you're a new creature with a new heart, and a, a mind that's being renewed, and hands that are being cleansed. Just think about that. Let me ask a few reflective questions as you're thinking and inviting God's spirit to help you with this. In those categories, in your head and your heart and your hands, which one have you really primarily focused on in your Christian life? Which one has gotten all your attention or most of it? And has it been exhausting seeing and putting all this effort into that one area with little transformation and all you feel is like you're forcing yourself to do it. That can be in your beliefs, that can be in what you feel, that can really be in what you do. Or what about the opposite end? Which of these three have you really suppressed or neglected? Have you, have you really not tried to deeply understand God and his word and, and truth? Or, 
Or maybe you've really suppressed expression of your heart and feelings or and asking the Lord to refine and purify what you feel and what motivates you. Or, or maybe it's in what you do. Your hands, maybe. You've not cared about the things that you do in life. And you've primarily been motivated by how you feel and what feels good. I'm asking you right now to say, God, all of me, completely like Christ. If that's your true desire, would you just confess that to the Lord right now? Would you prayerfully invite him into every area to be made into complete Christ-likeness? Now the odds are this morning that there are individuals in here who have never yet experienced the transforming power of the gospel and the grace of God and Christ. And, and you're hearing about all of this and it sounds really good, but you're not sure the way there. And I want to tell you that this isn't the end. Jesus is the end of it all. Jesus is who you get. And so if you're here today and you want to know Jesus and, and be made to look like Jesus because you're finding out just how beautiful and perfect he is, then would you just invite him into your heart today? Again, you say, all of me, God, I'm yours. Surrender to your will in my head and my heart and my hands. Make me and mold me. Use me and fill me. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are perfect. Everything about you is perfect. Not a single thing do you lack or have yet to gain. You have it all. The whole world is full of your glory. And yet, Father, we recognize that there are areas in our lives where we've neglected or not intentionally joined you in your work of forming Christ in us which is our hope of glory. I pray, Lord, that you would respond to the cries of our hearts and hold true to your promises. That you would, in every way possible, grow us into maturity like your son's fullness. God, please come and do that work now. Continue to do that work, I pray. God, for the believer, do that work. For the one who has not yet received Jesus in full or at all, would you challenge their faith? Would you grow them up and cultivate the ground so that this seed this morning might land on good soil and bear much fruit? And I pray, Lord, that if there is somebody new here today who has given their life to you, would, would they not try to go it alone? Would they join together in this church? God, we love you. We thank you for the work that you have done already, for the progress that we've already seen in our lives, and we're thanking you for the work that you've promised you will do in us. We are not done yet. So would you continue to do the work, we pray, all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. If you guys would stand, I'd love to pray over you as we...
dismiss. I'm praying for you from the book of Jude, verse 24 and 25. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. I love you guys. Have an incredible week. God bless you. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.